Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I'm David Borax, and this is R&D in the QC. Tarek Bakari and Larkin Eggleston, one Republican and one Democrat who bonded as first-term Charlotte City Council members. Somehow, they both got reelected, and now we're stuck listening to another season of this amateur hour bullshit. In the first 82 episodes, they talked to a governor, a senator, presidential candidates, and even a journalist or two. Their goal again this season, bringing Charlotte listeners behind the scenes of the city council in one of America's fastest-growing cities. I won't be listening, but for some reason, you are. Episode 84. In a world where R&D in the QC discusses the last week in review, goes through MLS soccer in detail, and highlights tonight's zoning meeting. Join us. is decent but not as good as mine well i mean can i hear an example in a world where we review zoning you know soccer in, in a, a land before time in a land <laughs> oh, have a good try though no, um not good hey so we had a busy week episode 84 and we're gonna have a busy tomorrow we are it is 10 30 in the p.m on mm. monday night after our zoning meeting we will get to that it was a beefier zoning meeting than usual which um not necessarily ideal when you've got three new members. I don't recall how good or bad our first one was, but um, it's it's something different to get used to, certainly than a business meeting. And we had a couple of uh, hotly contested rezoning votes and hearings. It's hard to stay positive on zoning the uh, week. It's not the most fun night of the month as a member of city council. I uh, Before we get going, though, Larkin... Um, I'd like to rehash uh, another item that happened in this last week. Uh, when I sent you bre- breaking news via texts, um, there were shots fired at Nakatomi Plaza. And I was... I don't you know, know why you... First of all, the website you sent me, the, the header of the website says that it's a fake news website. It, and I, then it took I'm me like sure two seconds that. to scroll because you would never send me something like that. And so all I saw I Bruce know Willis is this. and I immediately knew it had something to do with Die Hard. It was not... The fact that it said Nakatomi Plaza, it was the fact that the news header wasn't as accurate as you'd like it to be, and you saw Bruce Willis that made you un- and that. But that's when we learned. What I like is we the, learned really what I'm why I've brought this up. That I haven't seen. Die you Hard. haven't seen freaking Die Hard, <laughs> and I don't understand why people always talk about it being a Christmas movie. Fans of R and D in the QC, I I hope I, I hope, hope you all would- realize one what I go through on a day to day basis around this gentleman, but two. This is not. Somebody asked us. I think you were. We were together. Is that stuff where Larkin has never seen any movie real? Are you guys kind of like playing it up for the no, show? It's, real. it's totally real. Uh, we have not lied about any of the movies that I have or have not seen. I would like viewers, not viewers, their listeners. I'd like <laughs> listeners to take away from this that Tarek doesn't notice that the header on a website says that it's fake news before he sends it and tries to play a prank on. And someone. Larkin doesn't ha- know that. Nakatomi Plaza is the giveaway in the joke. He has a and or the giant picture of Bruce Willis. Well, I mean, Bruce Willis might be part of Nakatomi Plaza. You don't know that. That makes no sense. It did. It's okay, so I think that's more than enough time allocated to that topic. It's good. It's good. Um, we had a 
busy week since our episode last week. Mm. Uh, so quickly, I'll I'll go through a rapid fire, and you can chime in with some color commentary one, on one, any of these. What, re- this is like lightning round. Uh, we had we broke ground at the airport on the new terminal expansion that we had approved some months back. Uh, that was good, and uh, be a huge project that'll expand the areas where like baggage claim and uh, check in and things like that are security. Uh, improve the flow and efficiency of that. Uh, you and I went to a large, um, I believe it was called Joy in the Carolinas Coca Cola Consolidated event on Tuesday night last week. That was awesome. It really was awesome. The Panthers. It was hosted at Panther Stadium. Coca Cola Consolidated. Who else? Harris Teeter. Um, a number of organizations brought out a thousand parents and kids, gave them Did you Christmas say the presents. Health organization who was it? Aiden, Aiden, Aiden. One of our say. local hospital partners. One of the local hospital partners. I think it was Atrium or Novant. We love them both. Yes. Um, presents for the children, haircuts, new shoes for the children, groceries for the parents to take home, fed them dinner. There were Panther players out there. Um, just a really awesome event. Could you name a couple of the Panther players that you saw? Uh, yeah, Gerald McCoy was there. Great. And uh, Paradise. Paradise, Paradise, the center. Mm. There were some others that I didn't know so well. Then um, after that, we left and were able to join the um, – that was that night, right? Was the, the vigil at The Brooks. vigil for the, the, the Brooks uh, restaurant, and um, that was super sad. Super, super sad. But um, I think David Brooks, the, the brother, the surviving brother, was there and – you know, we, we spoke to him briefly, but there were probably 150, 200 people there. Right. And yeah. I think for him, even just, I guess, 12 hours after or a little more than 12 hours after his brother's life had been taken uh, for him to be there, I thought was, was incredible that he has that kind of strength. I don't know that I would, mm-hmm. but it did seem like he was really um, moved by the, the outpouring of support from the community. It was, a, and it was a crappy night too. It was like raining yeah. and, cold but all these people had brought flowers and brought cards came just to to speak to him and, and give him a hug and um so you know it's it was a horrible circumstance but um to see that outpouring of love from the community was was inspiring in it in its own way um wednesday we had the goodfellas lunch raised mm-hmm. over a million dollars uh, for people in need in this community that's a really um a really amazing organization that's been what 102 years now and now for the second year in a row, has cleared a million dollars at a luncheon. Sang some songs. Um, listened to some terrible jokes. Thursday, we recorded Flashpoint. Mm. And uh, that went well. Uh, did it? I haven't watched it. I think it was good. Okay. Um, what else did we do? Uh, I had coffee that day. <laughs> uh, I don't feel like that's newsworthy. Say? Just a Christmas uh, card. It's not sure what Friday, that means. you want to plug Fifth Third Bank and the, the community grants that they're doing? Uh, yes. Uh, Fifth Third Bank, um, had that amazing, f- um, uh, I guess it was a breakfast slash coffee at, the Mint, Museum uh, at the Mint Museum where we went up there and they announced all kinds of, I guess, annual grants that I think they give into the ecosystem. I think there was a series of $25,000 ones that and went 50. to like Urban League and several things like that. And then $50,000 ones as well with like Inlivian and, uh, and County, like that. uh, Habitat for Humanity got one, yeah. CPCC got it's one. It's just great to see a Carolina fintech hub, if I might plug, uh, anchor partner out there just doing great stuff supporting the ecosystem in the community. Yeah. Having not lived in another major city or when I, when I grew up in Winston Salem, which, kind of a mid-sized city. I wasn't paying that much attention to what was going on in the corporate community, but I do think uh, it's got to make us a little unique, the level of 
corporate engagement we've got from our, our big um, our big headquartered companies here and, and just ones that have a strong presence here like Fifth Third does. So always happy to support them when they're giving back to the community. Saturday, I made my debut in ballet. Hmm. That sounds weird. It was. Uh, I got invited to be a part of Clara's trip, which was a performance at Booth Playhouse. And the scariest part was they said, just show up uh, and go with the flow. So did you like... Did you get a fresh pair of like stockings or whatever? Or no, did you they have to, said like, just wear dress else's? like you're coming to the theater. We're going to pull you on stage and then we'll guide you through the number. Well, it was like a 10 minute number. I'm sweating by the end of it, as you can imagine. Sure. You, but and, you're a sweater. Uh, I am. And uh, so I think that people got some laughs out of it, which was probably the point. Uh, but it turns out that I have no future in professional dance. Good for you. And uh, yeah. And here we and are here today. We are. Zoning. So you were going to talk a little uh, bit about yeah. um, football So tomorrow. This is something that we can't talk about, but all of a sudden we're going to be able to talk about as of tomorrow in a little more detail. And it's been, you know, veiled in secrecy. Uh, a lot of people have had a lot of questions. Somebody's been leaking stuff, as we've discussed. Uh, and the problem with that it has been, you know, other than hurting the city, as I've said, and we can clarify what that means a little bit now since – this is going to be posted, you know, just before midnight tonight. And uh, we'll, we'll trust that none of our uh, media friends that listen out there will write this story before we actually do the press conference. Um, but we, but I think it's, it's appropriate for us to talk about a little some of the drivers here. But um, essentially, someone leaked out the letter that Mayor Lyles had sent to uh, Don, the football, uh, f- the football, the soccer commissioner, MLS commissioner, MLS commissioner. And uh, without the broader context of the deal we had been working on in closed session, um, people were running wild with theories of how could you do this and what does this mean and all this stuff. And I'll, I'll tell you what, while we still can't talk about everything, it's great that we can finally talk a little bit more about those details. So long story short, um, we worked behind in closed session to strike a deal and staff did most of the work, but then we got to help shape that and provide feedback along the way uh, that enabled Tepper and the Panthers organization to go after soccer. So there was a $110 million commitment, as most people would probably see. But that commitment, uh, and this is going to surprise a lot of folks, was never about us saying, here's $110 million. We're handing that to you. And now you take that check, cash it, and go get soccer. What we said is essentially, if I was to use an analogy, because you know I'm great at these analogies, Larkin, we put $110 million of chips on the table and basically committed in that letter. And if you go back and read the letter, you'll see we we are essentially saying that we are designating those funds for that. We're not going to go spend it elsewhere. But there are other many other steps that have to be completed between now and when that money ultimately gets passed along in order for that to happen. So that's why I was supportive of, of this approach because we're going to have an entire process before any money, a single dime is handed outside of the city coffers. And that is, is going to enable us to come to the negotiation table with that group longer term and say, okay, well, some stuff about the stadium and what needs to happen there. But more importantly, Eastland Mall and the practice facility and, and the, the, the facilities that will be out there. And that is the catalyst that Eastland has never had. And so I've, I've been in the city 15 years and I did visit Eastland before it closed. But I, in the last decade or so, 
there've been all these pie in the sky ideas of a ski slope in a movie studio and stuff that just never really had a chance from the jump and and they never ski they slope, always they jump. Al- they always nice. fizzled and they never nothing ever materialized there we finally got a plan out there that's going to be a mixed use development that was already going to be a fairly healthy uh, development anyway this is the spark this is the catalyst that that part of east charlotte has never had and the ancillary benefits of of having that out there as a draw for people that want to yep. go and watch the team practice for the opportunities that it'll create for community events out there um the opportunities that it will create for for people to be attracted to open a restaurant or a different type of business out there uh to meet the needs of those visitors i think is really going to um to set fire to, to that area. And again, and you know, people have asked for a long time and said, why aren't y'all investing in the East side? Why aren't y'all investing in the East side? This is as much as it is an investment in center city. It is an investment in East Charlotte. Yeah. And, and not only that, an entire another mixed use district around uptown and the, in the existing Panther stadium that's there. Uh, there, there's an entire vision for what that could become. And they've cited other cities that have similar things. But, um, you know, all of that is what has to be negotiated. Plus, both implied and indirect is Panthers football and it existing in Charlotte, uptown, in a tethered kind of long-term format. All of that is on the table now in what has to be negotiated. And here's the, here's the beauty of this, this deal that, that we've struck is that we don't have to commit to to transferring a single dollar of that 110 million dollars until we have a mutually agreeable plan vetted completely transparently in the public's eye and this could take months this could this could take a long time for us to get to that point we don't get to that point until we say we're there and all that gets done on one side of the coin which is just much more than subsidizing the purchase of a soccer team but in the same time tomorrow morning we're going to announce that soccer has been awarded so our approach enabled us to have the long-term effect of coming to the negotiating table on all these other economic driving factors in charlotte with leverage and because we were able to work out a deal and tepper was able to work out a deal with the mls whereby we will make modifications to an existing stadium our team will actually in all likelihood almost near certainty be playing before the two teams that were awarded before the Charlotte team will will have been awarded tomorrow. So we will start in two years playing where the others will will be three because they're building new um, soccer specific stadiums, as I understand it. So you see how annoying this was, though, because we couldn't talk about any of this because it, if you think about this deal and you really kind of walk it through in your head, we were basing we were basing our approach on the, the the need that Tepper needed to be awarded this team based on our commitment to set aside this money, knowing that we had more negotiations to do on many fronts, including NFL and where it stayed here. And then people are out there leaking this stuff. Like we, I can't believe we got this deal negotiated in the way we did. Well, this and- is an amazing deal. And people were out there trying to sabotage it in a way where we were going to lose that ability. Someone was going to come and say, if we kept leaking, is the city actually committed to negotiating this in the future? These that, leaks, that was my problem. These leaks likely drove Tepper's purchase price of the organization up. And, no doubt. And frankly, there were points over the last couple of weeks or month where it put the whole deal in jeopardy, whether it was ever going to happen. So had that ended up 
going down that path and, and they just pulled the plug and said, we'll find a city that, that we can work with and we can have some trust in, um, whoever, you know, thought they were doing something for their own personal benefit or because they thought it was for yeah. some greater good would have really done some, some irreparable harm to the city. I, I think that one it's, I don't blame people who it's easy to have seen this all kind of lining up that, that tomorrow, the, the underlying theme was the 17th was, was going to be the day we announced the team. We were voting behind closed doors, which wasn't the case. No. And I think that it's not surprising that people saw that there's going to be an MLS announcement on the 17th and assumed that all of the deal making between the city and the te- and Tepper's organization was done. And it's because it, the way you just described it is not necessarily the way you'd, you'd think that it'd be at first glance. Everyone, including in, our most, our most seasoned economic development and business reporters didn't come to jump to this conclusion on their own, which was surprising to me because I would have assumed like they, they kept asking are Monday's your last day. Like obviously if this announcement's going to happen, you've got to go back there. And, and I think this was such a unique ability and approach for us to be able to strike in a deal that most people probably wouldn't have imagined is possible. This is going to be surprising to a lot of folks, but for all those out there who thought, Oh, well, whoever's leaking this is doing good because you know, they're going to prove something behind closed doors. Clearly that isn't the case. Clearly it isn't the case. And in fact, hopefully you see how selfish those people were being in disrupting a deal that was amazing for us and the tax years because we literally gave up nothing. And now we get to go to the negotiating table in the light of day, transparently with a soccer team in our town and negotiate or not what's best in the best interest for taxpayers. Yeah. Hopefully tomorrow, um, once a lot of stuff is, is laid out on the table and those discussions can begin, it will, things will calm down and there will be more understanding of, okay, this is not a, this process is not done. It's just getting started. And I, again, I don't blame people who given the little bits of information that, that were available out there that people jumped to some of the conclusions they jumped to. And we weren't really in a position to correct them because we're still not really supposed to be talking about this stuff. Um, so again, I, I hope that, Everyone will take a deep breath. There's going to be a lot of excitement tomorrow. I've received just as much, if not more, positive feedback about the excitement around the awarding of this team as I have negative feedback around the misperceptions of, of how the tax dollars were being spent or the decisions were being made. Um, but hopefully even those who had some qualms based on the limited and misinformation that was out there will take a deep breath tomorrow and say, oh, okay, there still is an opportunity for engagement. There still is an opportunity um, for the city to continue making sure this is – yielding the most community benefit that it can. Um, but I mean, I, I think we're probably not even like, I'm sitting here thinking about it now. How many times in a city's history do they get to announce a major sports franchise being awarded to the city? I mean, in this city's in a top 20 size city, if you're lucky three times, I I mean, mean, that's like massive. Yeah. I mean, so for us, this will be the, the fourth time that one of like the major five sports leagues, because the Hornets the first time, the Panthers oh, the Hornets the second time, got it. or the Bobcats at that at that time, and then this. I mean, MLS is easily in in kind of a used to think of top four sports, including hockey, baseball, football, and basketball. MLS is really kind of inching its way up into that same echelon, and um, and of those, how many times has the city been able to negotiate such a strong position where we get soccer win number one? But when number two is we come to the table not to not to subsidize the purchase of that team, but 
to potentially set aside money for other economic development opportunities to be negotiated at a later date that has to be satisfactory from our perspective. Like, I don't know that a deal has ever been struck this strong and this beneficial for the community in the history of mankind. Huge. 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 <laughs> Huge. You sound a little chumpy over there. I can't get. I'm but it, but up, it man. is good, and it is it is a day for celebration. And um, tomorrow is a day for celebration. When likely when people when I post this to tonight, this. just just PSA for I know several of our friends in the media listen to this. Do us a solid. Just don't be don't, running eight a.m. stories. Just run it after ten a.m.'s press conference. Just do us that favor. Um, zoning. Yeah, this was yeah. Oh wait, positive positivity. Oh yeah, we're not positivity. To, that's gonna be hard. Um, it felt like Nakatomi Plaza tonight. Actually, you know what? <laughs> we'll end with the positivity. We had a non-zoning vote that we took in the middle of the meeting tonight, and we will end with that. Well, I don't know, man. It was positive for me. It was not positive. You came for me. around on it. I, I came around because I didn't want right, to be the that one the stick end. in the mud. Because I'm you want to, so you want to end on a sour note. You. you <laughs> okay. Not not for most people. It's not um, most people who. All right. So we voted tonight, and mm. there weren't. Um, I don't think was there just the one that was kind of a contentious rezoning because some of the other ones got deferred. Um, that were. I mean, so like I had one up. on Prov right on Providence that um, ended up passing, and we didn't really have a lot of community feedback. We had a little bit. They were, they were concerned for basically the same reasons we've been concerned on anything that happens on Providence, which is it's just an insane place to drive. And the traffic and congestion is brutal and it's not getting any better. But again, we're at a point where and I've asked and the mayor agreed. And I think something hopefully will come out of it is we can't deal with this on a one off rezoning level. Uh, we have to actually take this seriously and put this into a committee or get some report and some partnership with the state or whatever and attack these corridors like Providence and Fairview and Sharon and Park and many others and and come up with an actual long-term plan because it's just going to keep getting worse and worse and worse as more and more people move here and as we build more and more along there. So um, so that passed on, on my front tonight and the, the petitioner did a good job in helping to mitigate the extra traffic that they would create. But uh, it's the broader it's the broader environment of Providence and these corridors that make it miserable. So I'm looking back through the agenda tonight. Uh, I had a bunch, but none that I, I think are particularly newsworthy. Um, they were mostly pretty cut and dry. Patchouli breweries and but stuff. One, well, one will be an eating and drinking establishment. Um, the big one that probably two thirds of the folks in the audience were in the audience for tonight, and there was actually a group of of sign holders for this petition. Yeah, and they were. There was a larger, admittedly larger group of people holding signs against it, but it was a development in East Charlotte. Um, H.H. Hunt was the developer. Not incredibly polite. Yeah, there's a lot of interrupting and yelling and stuff, but so 20, a, a little under 27 acres um, and wanted to build multifamily on it. So, and I, I I'll preface this and I'll, I'm going to time us so that we don't get in too much of a, a rabbit hole here, but stay positive. Let's, Let's keep this at under five Totally minutes. stay positive. Okay, great. Um, so they want to build a, a large number of, of multifamily units, apartment units. And what the data told us. Now, the, the main objection to this was that we don't have the road capacity. We don't have the infrastructure in this area to support these additional trips. And again, what we always talk about, people are looking at the way it is today 
and they're looking at the way it will be if this gets built. And, you know, somewhat rightfully, they, they kind of panic. What the data told us was that the zoning this site already had, if built with that zoning, would actually generate more vehicle trips than the zoning that was being proposed by these apartments. And that, in my mind, and I, I would think in most people's minds, would negate the argument that we'd vote this down and on if the that, basis if, of traffic. If, if, if you're out there and you don't normally pay attention to this nerdy stuff and you're trying to say, well, what does that mean exactly? Picture a site that has a bunch of empty, unused retail today, plus more retail you could possibly build there. Re- and retail has... Is this going to be an analogy? A, no, no, no. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm analogied out today. I've, I've used them all the bad ones up. But retail has much more significant vehicle trip generation, tra- cars coming in and out than, say, single-family and multifamily uses. When in this case, the, the site was already zoned for single-family, but also for office, and now it was just going to be entirely zoned for multifamily. Right. So, again... It, there has to be, but if you're coming in to argue, which was the arguments both by the district rep in this case and the many people opposed to it in the audience, and the argument is traffic is bad enough and don't do this, it's going to make it way worse and terrible. The fact of the matter is, if we if if we didn't do something, and or let, let's say that we've used the word moratorium a bunch today, and on Providence as well as this, right? What I asked Ty Wo, our planning director, to do was. Hey, show me if we said moratorium, no new rezonings all down Providence or all down a major corridor like this. What if the next logical thing would be, okay, people would start looking to do buy right deals and they'd look at a site like this and they'd say, all right, we're going to do a whole bunch of new retail and office space and whatever. And that would generate these new trips. But how much and and so the capacity by which people buy right, not uh, not using things that are that are uh, used up today, I'm, I'm my wording here is 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 struggling, Larkin. Help me out. The it's going to be a lot more. It's going to be a lot more cars, and we and it would have never come in front of us. And there was a subsequent Facebook post uh, made by the district member that indicated that the staff in this case used the developers' estimates on traffic generation. That just flat out wasn't true. Wrong. Um, the head of rezonings, I triple checked after that post was made. In case somehow I'd missed something, he said, absolutely not. We used our own numbers. I don't know why he said that. Um, and frankly, you know, people, I understand why people are concerned and they're frustrated with, with congestion. But in, I wish that they were looking. Is it at, dangerous to play into the emotions of, of yes. your community? And and frankly, I think that it is our job as the person who has been sent to dig the deepest into this stuff and know the most about this stuff. It is incumbent on us to say the uncomfortable things, to say the things that people might not want to hear, but that are true right. and, and present both sides. And if people make statements that are wrong, that you correct them, even if that's not a comfortable position to be in and just be honest with people. And I, and I also think it's incumbent on us if, if a district rep in particular really really cares about making sure something doesn't get passed they have to talk to their colleagues and there are multiple people who are on city council on this hallway that today said i never heard from that person other than a group email that was sent out at the last minute i never heard from him he never talked to me about this petition and so i'm not trying to attack our colleague but the fact of the matter is, if you're worried about the outcome and not just worried about the optics and being the hero who votes against something because you got a bunch of emails about it, 
you have to work with people and explain to them why they should vote against it with you. Because when the planning commission says unanimously that this is the right decision, the staff says that this is the right decision with no qualifications. They said this is this is a plan that we think is appropriate. And when all the experts agree, you've got to have some pretty compelling reasons and you've got to make a pretty compelling case. If you don't make any case at all, you can't necessarily expect that I'm coming along and saying that all these people who are highly trained experts don't know what they're talking about. I mean, about. and we're not, I, I would doubt that anyone, if you're listening to R&D in the QC, you're already in the sophisticated 1% of people following local politics. I would assume no, this is not a shock to anyone that that's a strategy that you have to employ. Like, you know, whipping votes and having a whip count and things like that. That means you're actually, you care and you're working behind the scenes. And a whip count sounds like a complicated thing because it's used. When no, you're it's like about how many Larkin one. About, well, when you talk about <laughs> Congress two. and you're talking about over yeah. 400 members, yeah, we're talking six. it gets really complicated. But when you all you have to do is count votes. to five, six. Five, not including yourself. When, you, when all you have to do is count to six and you're one of them, it's not that hard. And we literally, all our offices are on the same hallway. We see each other all the time. This is not hard to it, do. It was never about, it was never about voting it down. And that's the problem. That's the problem I have with it. So that's been, we, we went six minutes. But I feel good though. And I'm telling you, I feel positive right now. Um, did you have any hearings that you wanted to talk about? No, I don't Larkin. I don't think I do either. Although I am, I didn't have a single hearing that the, that the owner of the fig tree is looking to open a restaurant in the Belmont community in my district. And I don't know if you've been to the fig tree, but it is phenomenal. It's on seventh streets in a historic old house. Yes, I have. Is that called the fig tree? Was right. it called something else before the Not, fig? The fig. Well, no, Keith uh, misstated it as the fig restaurant, but it was been called the fig tree for as long as I remember. It's like right across from the park thing, yeah. right? And it, there's, and old, there's like these little brown, rooms like where you have eat. I, I ate there like 10 years ago. Great restaurant. You should go back. Um, so that's exciting for the people in the Belmont community. But the thing we did in the middle of the, the decisions and the hearings that uh, was exciting. Mm. You had frustrations and, and others shared them that it, this came together very quickly. And I, I will give the benefit of the doubt that, that's just how it happened, that it was not that they tried to spring it on us. All right, all right. But how about I start and say the crappy parts, <laughs> and then you finished on the high note. So, so we that end we, the episode, so okay. we end the episode on a high note. Go for it. So Excelsior Club, he, here's the problem I have with it. Which, right? for anybody who doesn't know, is historically historic African-American uh, kind of nightlife establishment community uh, venue on Beatty's Ford Road, right near uh, Highway 16, north of um, Johnson C. Smith University, that has been in danger for a long time yep. due to lack of maintenance and um, has been closed for years, has been on, this, on the block for sale. We thought we had a buyer, then the buyer's out. I mean, it's been just a roller coaster um, that was leading to its likely demolition. So, so there's a, so much about this that I love about, you know, preserving historic, you know, significance like this and, and adaptive reuse and, or, you know, whatever it'll ultimately be. But then having this sprung upon us, number one, but number two, glancing at these details and seeing if you know about this property in any detail, you know that it is owned right now by representative Carla Cunningham and representative Carla Cunningham has been, I guess, I, you know, I, 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 let me not comment on that. Let's just say that she wants $1.5 million for the property and 
the market was willing to pay her $1.1 million for it. So I love that all this creative multi-group stuff came together, but I find it weird that they were able to come to some middle ground to say, oh, around 1.35 or something like that is where it could get done, but she won't budge from that and the developer won't budge from 1.1. And now we're subsidizing that with public money and private money to the, to the tune of a quarter million dollars across all these areas. Just to and the inside of this place is gutted. They told us there's nothing historical to save there. The outside is crumbling, and they aren't going to like preserve it. They're going to try to recreate it so it kind of looks like that. A so like, points of, so how much does that cost? Couple, couple corrections there. One, she did come down from the one point five to one point three five, which is the quarter. Does it cost a quarter million dollars to preserve the front? That was my well, simple question. So here's here's the other part. They will have to do a determination as to whether or not the existing facade can be part of the, the new development or if it will be a recreated, replicated facade. Um, there's a lot of precedent for that in the historic preservation community. Obviously, I hope we can save the original, but um, there's uh, like things at Williamsburg, for instance, or most of that is recreation. So there's a lot of precedent for recreation, and it's still being able to better tell the story. Um, and they would kind of recreate the venue and there, you would have the Excelsior Club there. So it doesn't just end up being a plaque. So I, or- so I, so I, fine. And I love the outcome. I'm, I, I'm not trying to make you know anyone think that the ultimate outcome is not where I – so let's put that aside like and say the, the quarter – yeah, let's say the quarter million dollars and how that, that amount got created and all that stuff – Whatever, we'll put all, all that aside. Well, and I don't know that I, I take issue with your with your question of does the preservation of the facade or the recreation of the facade cost a quarter million dollars? What we're getting, and and to be clear, the city's only invested. We're subsidized. Well, but it's a quarter million dollars in the end, and yeah. by us doing our fifty thousand foundations, fifty, fine. The city and the county are each doing fifty thousand dollars. The rest is coming from foundations. Is it? Are do you? Two questions. One: Do you believe if we didn't step up and do this, that the the community if the if the ultimate time came the community no. in the private sector wouldn't step up and do something i don't here. think so i think we were so close to everyone just kind of throwing in the towel i think had that if that was the case i think it would have already happened i think if we had not done this if, collectively and again there's only a hundred thousand dollars of, of public money going in this and only fifty thousand of that's from the city fifty thousand from the county the rest is foundations which is not public money so I do literally think that had this not been pulled together, and kudos to, to James Mitchell, um, Smudgy was one of the ones who helped orchestrate this along with a couple others. I think that all we would have had remaining of the Excelsior Club would have been a metal plaque like we have for so many other things around this city. And this city has a... Someone a, couldn't build... the. All we're building is a front, of a, a, a replica facade of what it looks like today. You're telling me that they couldn't figure out how to make that happen. For less than a quarter million dollars. That's where I'm not trying to be like flipping and say, I, I, again, I love the outcome, but like we're, we're talking about a lady who owns this place, who, who should have as much staked into this as anyone. Well, and she is not willing to play ball or work with folks. And now we're in this situation. So in order to keep her, because she's just going to demolish it in order well, to keep her not, cool, we're going to put a quarter million it. dollars in here. It's just it's mind boggling to me that we could get to this. You're point. a little out in front of your skis I, on this I, I, one. Um, well, and which on where? Which well, angle? on a couple of things. I mean, first of all, she was going to sell it. She also this is not a property she acquired by choice. This is a property she acquired when her husband passed. It was something that that he was intimately involved in, and it just became 
I think over time a burden on her. Now, does that mean she couldn't have maintained it better? Of course she could have. But, like, she didn't want this on her plate anymore. She wanted to sell it, and everybody's got a right to, to what they think is a fair price. Now, I do think that this is going to yield something that is a better tribute to the history of this site and this property than whatever the, the private market would have done on its own without us intervening. And so, you know, in a city that has as ugly a history as Charlotte has, and many cities across the South have, of demolishing the history in our black community. And Brooklyn is the prime example that gets talked about a whole lot. There's one structure, well, I'm sorry, two structures next to each other that are left from the entire black neighborhood of Brooklyn, which is now what we call Second Ward, where most of our government buildings in Marshall Park are. There are two buildings left. We have torn down so much of the African-American history in this community. I think that outlaying $50,000 to try to preserve something that really means a lot. And I don't, so at the end of the day, I can't even claim that I know, but I, I feel certain that you, that you can't claim, you know, either how deep, how deeply people feel connected to this place. This is a place where during presidential campaigns, presidents would stop and they'd come in. This is a place where industry legends, you know, jazz legends and blues legends would come in and play. I mean, this was, this place is probably more significant to the history of the African-American community here than either of us will ever be able to appreciate. And, and honestly, despite all my misgivings and, and problems with this, that was why at the end, after hearing other folks go around and share those exact sentiments that I said, I, I was going to support it tonight. And I ended up supporting it and it, it was against every fiber in my being, but I knew that what you just said there so critical so foundational and it's the soft factors that my hope was in doing that and showing that show of faith and that empathy that folks in the future uh would would hear me and realize let's not do it like this again but also you know as the two people that have most engaged with this music everywhere initiative i think the loss of many of our venues like double door and tremont and places like that that's another reason i think that this is something we should be excited about because this does help preserve a venue like that, it does help preserve a place that can tell a story about the music history of our community. And but so- that, that is the question. And, and I, I read some stuff from the our preeminent um, historical buffs in town on this today. But like, how how much are we ultimately how much is there? Because if it's just the front facade and you walk into a hotel, right? You know, it's not like we get to re- recreate. Well, I think the hope that. is that you do recreate a a space like that as part of this development that you would create something that could be used for live music could be used for community gatherings and so i think the hope would be that not only would you save or recreate some of the aesthetic and some of the the structure itself but that you would actually recreate that community space and that that place where people come together so yeah you know we won't know how happy we should be we won't know how how good of an investment this was or wasn't until something's coming out of the ground but we also have a clawback provision in there with whereby if this project is not completed five years from now they have to pay back the money so you know if the whole thing goes sideways and never gets built we've got some some safety um valves there to get the money back so i think it's i think it was a win in a city that is so frequently and rightfully criticized for um not not caring about preserving its history and then tearing down buildings that matter and tell our story. Um, I think we should always be excited to get a win like that in a world, in a world where they've torn down all their history in a time, a council decides to actually do something about in a it. land. 
All right. I'm ready to go home. Uh, that's it then, huh? We talked about it. Are you going to maybe watch? Hey, I got an idea. Let's watch Die Hard together this Christmas season. What do you say? Probably not. Can we do one more episode before uh, the holidays? Oh, yeah. So we've got uh, two weeks off from council meetings because of Christmas and New Year's. How about a live Christmas next, day? Next council episode. meeting will be Monday, January 6th. Who? So, um, yes, we will certainly try to do something, especially given um, the announcements tomorrow. I think we will uh, we'll pull something together between now and two weeks from now when we have our next meeting, um, a time to be determined. So follow the Facebook page Boom. if you don't already, R&D and the QC, and uh, we'll make sure that you know when that's coming. And make sure you like, rate, share, all those things, and have a have a wonderful holiday, Tark. Holidays. Have a wonderful holidays. I think we need to drop out the holiday tree uh, uh, episode uh, outtake for everyone. I hope you and your family uh, sit around the holiday tree and open lots of holiday presents mm. and enjoy each other's company. I think we will, Larkin. That's it. 84 episode in the books. <laughs> <laughs>